Judges chapter 17 and verse 1. Judges chapter 17 and verse 1. Now the events described here in this chapter are not in chronological sequence to the death of Samson, uh, which we read of in the previous chapter, uh, but they occurred early on in the period of the judges, uh, immediately following the death of Joshua and the death of the elders who had witnessed the great things which God had done in Joshua's time. Uh, we read in Judges 2 and verse 10, There arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he, Joshua, had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. How quickly, therefore, did spiritual decline overtake the nation of Israel within just a generation of Joshua's death? And this teaches us uh, that no single generation can ever rest upon the laurels of previous generations. And so whatever mighty work the Lord may have done in times past, each new generation has to do its own work in preserving and proclaiming the truth of God. And uh, without a strong Christian witness, a nation quickly plummets and goes into serious national decline. And one of the great tragedies about our own nation is that the national decline is now spanning generations. In fact, evangelical Christianity has been on the decline in Britain since the middle of the 19th century. So, so we, we are speaking of a very long period of decline. And without strong leadership, so quickly do people fall away. And, and this is what happened to Israel uh, in the time of the judges after the death of Joshua. And they, the people began to turn to the false religious practices of their Gentile neighbours, yet still imagining that they were worshipping the one true God of Israel, when in fact they were doing no such thing. And many people today think that they are worshipping uh, the Trinitarian God, whom Christians should worship, uh, but they are doing no such thing. They, they are worshipping the philosophies of a God-rejecting society. And many in the churches today are nothing but cultural Marxists. They're not worshipping the God of the Scriptures. Uh, their message is a social gospel of creating equality in society, of being inclusive, embracing diversity, 
including religious diversity. Well, they are not honouring the God of the Scriptures, and yet they call themselves Christians. And so here we see the people of Israel turning to the gods of the surrounding nations. If you turn to other gods, that means you're more enlightened, doesn't it? It means you're more broad-minded. And so what do we do in modern Britain? We embrace other religions to show our broad-mindedness. But God is angry with us for doing so. It does not take long for a society to plunge into godlessness. Uh, and if, if we look back at our more recent history, um, a watershed decade uh, was the 1960s, when all uh, inhibition was thrown to the wind uh, and society uh, self-consciously threw off all Christian restraint. Uh, and uh, there was a Home Secretary in, uh, in the early 1970s who uh, said that the permissive society which the 1960s had created uh, was a civilised society. So um, the political establishment that actually saw permissiveness, removing all uh, restraint in, in, in respect of what you could watch on television or see on the stage. They, they thought that the removal of all, of all restraint was a mark of civilization. And so this is symptomatic of the national decline that we ourselves have been uh, going through. Uh, and, of course, what also happened in the 1960s, we had the, uh, the passing uh, of the Abortion Act, uh, whereby uh, human beings can be murdered in their mother's wombs, and it is called a woman's right to choose. Uh, and so this is an example of the so-called civilised society that we have created. So... Societies, nations, very quickly plunge into godlessness. And they do so if there is no strong spiritual leadership. Nations fall into anarchy and disorder if the churches are not doing what they ought to be doing, which is upholding the one true faith according to the scriptures. Now, here in Judges 17, we see the introduction of idolatry into the national life of Israel uh, for the first time since their settlement in the Promised Land, the introduction of other religious practices alongside the worship of Jehovah, and this is very relevant for us because this is exactly what is happening in our society. We are gradually seeing the, the introduction of other faiths into our national life. Uh, and we're told um, that this is all in the cause of social 
cohesion. But what does God think of it? Now, we're told in verse 1 here, there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. Micah was heavily involved in the appalling spiritual decline in the early period of the judges. He was a man who professed faith in God. But he was guilty of great compromise. He had not stopped being a religious person. He had not openly renounced Jehovah. But by being careless about God's commandments, he showed himself to be no true believer. Uh, here in Judges 17, we find Micah uh, ignoring the second commandment concerning graven images. He also ignores the tenth commandment concerning covetousness, and he ignores the eighth commandment concerning stealing. And yet, he says that he's a believer. <coughs> Uh, but as the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 2 and verse 4, he that saith, I know God and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And, and so that is the verse we particularly need to present uh, to all those churches today which uh, condone the sin of homosexuality. He that saith, I know God and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. Much contemporary Christianity downplays the law of God and his requirements of perfect holiness, preferring instead to talk about a make-believe Jesus who loves everyone just as they are and who consequently never threatens the sinner or warns of the urgency of repentance. And indeed, um, one of our brethren in High Wycombe uh, on Thursday uh, was approached from a professing Christian using exactly that argument. Now, we read of Micah in verse 2 here, and he said unto his mother, uh, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee about which thou cursest, and spakest of also in mine ears. Behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Now we learn here that Micah has stolen a considerable sum of money. He has stolen it from his own mother, perhaps foolishly thinking that he had some kind of right to his inheritance before his time. Now, 1,100 shekels of silver is equivalent to what a labourer would earn in about 12 years. Uh, so it is a very large amount of money. Here is an example of the appalling spiritual decline which was setting into Israelite life and society. Micah claims to be a believer in God, but resorts to stealing. His mother 
had vowed to God that if the money were returned, she would dedicate it to the Lord. Micah now confesses to his mother that he is the guilty party. There is nothing to suggest, however, that this confession is a fundamental change of heart or a real love for God and his law. Because as we shall see, both he and his mother are happy to defy the second commandment concerning idolatry. The mother uses the Lord's name to bless her son. But this is simply the removal of the curse which she had put upon the thief, upon whoever had stolen her money. But it is not indicative of any true devotion to the Lord. Both she and her son are following the religious practices of the surrounding nations. Now, it is quite possible to use religious activity to make one feel good about oneself, whilst at the same time not actually submitting to the truths of Scripture. It is also possible to be sincere in religion, but also to be sincerely wrong. Many of our Roman Catholic friends, for example, are very sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. Uh, many Muslims are sincere in their religion, but they are sincerely wrong in what they believe. And so sincerity is not enough. And one can be sincere to something which is positively evil and wicked. Verse 3. When he, Micah, had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and the molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. So Micah's mother explains that she had vowed that the money would be used to make idols to be erected in Micah's own private temple. And Micah seems very happy with this arrangement and so tells his mother to use the money to pay a craftsman to make a graven image. Now Micah's mother may well have lived in Egypt uh, prior to Israel's exodus from that land. And it appears that she was still hankering after the idolatrous calf worship to which she had been exposed there. Well, this is an example then of the great spiritual decline setting in in Israel. People who claim to worship the one true God, yet also bringing idols of other gods into their homes to bow down before them. 
that both Micah and his mother are willing to devote so much money to their idols shows what a hold false worship has upon them. False religion can be alluring and indeed enslaving. And many people in our own day, even professing Christians, are being sucked in to the false religion of environmentalism and earth worship. And we have to be on our guard against that. It's now become very, very fashionable uh, to express your grave concern about the climate. What a good, caring person you are if you're worried about climate change. But we have to be wary of a, a false religion trying to placate Mother Earth so she does not get too angry with these human beings who are troubling Mother Earth. We really do need to stand up to the climate change protesters. They've got it wrong. God controls the climate. And the climate has been changing at God's decree throughout human history. Uh, and, for example, between 900 AD and 1300 AD, there was a medieval warm period when they were growing crops in Greenland and harvesting grapes in southern England. You know, the climate has always been changing. And what we have to do is not jump on that bandwagon, but we have to tell unbelievers that they must humble themselves before the God who controls the climate. Verse 4 we read here, Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. So Micah's mother now dedicates a portion only of what she had vowed to give for the making of idols. 200 shekels out of 1,100, which suggests that she was not being totally honest with her son, or else it shows that she was a covetous person, uh, which may also be indicated by the fact that she went to the extreme action of uttering a curse upon the one who had stolen her money. Not only this, she seems oblivious of the fact that the one true God of Israel had utterly forbidden the worship of him by means of any man-made artefacts. That does not seem to come into her thinking at all. Now, it is almost certain that one of the images being made here would have been that of a calf, in accordance with the idolatry practiced by the Egyptians. This shows how much the, the Israelites had been influenced by Egypt when they had been living there. And what care we must take as Christians 
not to allow the world around us, our unbelieving society, to influence our teachings and beliefs. Because if we do that, then we're doing what the Israelites did in Egypt. We're just copying our neighbours. Tragically, the churches so often have this temptation to mimic and copy the philosophies of this world. And that, of course, is why the National Church has ordained women in direct contradiction with the teachings of God's word. It is a feeble response to a fashion in society. And we see the same thing uh, happening with the LGBT agenda and the same thing happening with the climate change agenda. The churches are following the world. And that is why the nation is in decline. Verse 5, And the man Micah had an house of gods, and made an ephod and teraphim, and consecrated one of his sons, who became his priest. Now, here is further evidence of how much Israel had departed from the word of God. We read in this verse 5, of an ephod. This was the upper part of the priest's dress, being secured by two shoulder bands and reaching down to the hips. God's true priests, the sons of Aaron, wore the ephod. But Micah making an ephod represents an utter corruption of God's ordinance. He was not allowed to do that. Now, we also have a reference in verse 5 to teraphim. These were household idols. They were thought to bring prosperity. And they were used for purposes of divination. For example, seeking to know the future. And so these teraphim were, in fact, the focal point of demonic activity. So Micah had actually become steeped in occultic practices. And you know, this horrible plague which we have in modern society, a drug-taking, is, is very much linked to demonic activity. As we've often mentioned the Greek word for witchcraft is pharmakia from we get from which we get our English word pharmacy. Take drugs and you expose yourself to demonic activity. Micah here is steeped in occultic practices, yet he was doing so whilst claiming to be worshipping the one true God as well. His consecrating one of his sons to be a priest was in direct disobedience to God's word, which confined the office to the sons of Aaron alone. 
Numbers 3 and verse 10. Thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Here we see how serious Micah's ignoring of God's word really is. God has determined the terms upon which he shall be approached. And if anybody approached his presence as it was manifested in the tabernacle or later the temple without being a, a properly consecrated priest would be put to death. The Lord would not have his ordinances corrupted by the whims of men. And we go back to the ordination of women. It's a corruption of what God has ordained. Now what Micah is doing here is helping to establish idol worship in Israel. An idolatry which would spread, corrupting and eventually bringing down the whole nation. And so we see the, the plight of the nation because of the lack of of proper spiritual leadership in verse 6 here. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And was that not the great cry of the 1960s? We are going to do our own thing. They proclaimed as they cast off our Christian inheritance. Because Israel here was without godly leadership, how the corruption soon set in and pervaded society. In both church and state today, how we need godly leadership. Men are living in rebellion against Christ the King. And that is why society is in such a state. Because men think that they know better than the God who made them. And our own parliament is, this coming week, about to impose upon Northern Ireland an, an abortion law which is even worse than the one we have here on the mainland. And so we see how the powers that be have a complete disregard for the sanctity of human life. And why do they have such a disregard? Because they have rebelled against the one true God. Verse 7. There was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place, verse 8. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. Now here we see a further example of men departing from the word of God and fashioning their own version of the faith. There were 48 cities in Israel allocated for the residence and the support of the Levites throughout the country. But Bethlehem was not one of them. 
So this Levite was again ignoring God's word. Firstly, by living in Bethlehem. And secondly, by trying to make himself into a kind of wandering Levite. And so moving away from the official Levite basis. And thirdly, he was also opposing God's word by hiring himself out instead of using God's appointed means of supporting him. Here we see that if professing Christians ignore God's word in one area, it soon leads to the ignoring of God's word in other areas. There was a gathering of homosexuals outside of the General Synod of the Church of England in 1992 when they passed the ordination of women measure and when they passed that measure the homosexuals cheered and they said it's our turn next because they realized that if the church can ignore God's word in one area they can ignore God's word in another area And that, incidentally, is also why we have to maintain the historical accuracy of Genesis chapters 1 to 11. Uh, deny the historicity of those chapters, that there really was a flood, that God really did create the world in six 24-hour days. Deny those biblical teachings and you undermine the rest of Scripture. That is why we have to maintain them, deny that Adam was a real historical figure who was created around 6,000 years ago. If you deny that, you undermine the rest of Scripture. Because, for example, as in Adam die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. If one does not believe in a historical Adam, why believe in a historical Christ. Verse 10 here we read, Micah said unto him, Dwell with me and be unto me a father and a priest. And I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year and a suit of apparel and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. Now we again see here that Micah is embracing religious superstition rather than the true worship of God. He wants the young Levite to be his spiritual father and priest. This will make him feel more secure, so he thinks. However, he is not God's appointed means. He is rejecting what God has ordained in this regard concerning the priesthood. Micah wants a priest living with him and he thinks that that will make him a safer person. And he wants this priest to be his spiritual father. Matthew 23, verse 9. Call no man your father upon the earth. 
For one is your Father, which is in heaven. We must never put our trust in men, not even in spiritual men. Our trust must be in God alone. He alone is our heavenly Father. And so, even to this very day, we still have the regrettable practice of uh, calling priests Father. That's their title. I mean, they should not be called priests either because there's no priesthood in the New Testament. And so the error is compounded. We call them priests and Father. Not us personally, but the Roman Catholic Church does. Now, verse 11 here. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite. The young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Now Micah had no authority to consecrate this Levite. He was neither a priest nor a Levite himself. And in any case, as we have seen, only the sons of Aaron were permitted to take up the priest's office. So Micah is fashioning his faith according to man-made ideas and not according to the word of God. The Levite is pleased with the security which his appointment has brought him. But the word of God had already provided that the material needs of the Levites should be met by the offerings of the people and by their occupation of the Levitical cities all around Israel. So both Micah and the Levite whom he has appointed here, they are both overturning the word of God. And this is tragically what happens in churches today. Worldly expedients are adopted in worship and evangelism, rather than trusting to God's appointed means. Clear statements of scripture are overridden on the grounds that times have moved on. This is how people, even in churches, genuinely argue. Times have moved on. We can't teach what we used to teach. When did we last hear the mainstream churches speaking out against cohabitation before marriage? It's a sin in the sight of God. It's fornication. It's wickedness. But it is what most people do because there is no spiritual direction. And so we see the philosophies of men and the pressures of a Christ-rejecting society are allowed to fashion the church's agenda. Verse 13, Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Micah here has defied the word of God, yet he imagines that his external religious performances, such as having a household priest, will bring down God's blessing 
upon him. God, however, only blesses those who humble themselves before him and who love him from the heart. But Micah is using the priesthood as some kind of personal insurance policy. And likewise, many today have a false confidence that their religious activities will do them good. Micah needs to be convicted of sin. He needs a new heart. He needs to be born again. Employing this Levite as a priest will be of no avail to him at all. And likewise today, no human priest can bring a man to God. So a man might recklessly sin and think to himself, oh, I'll go to the priest and he'll sort things out for me. No human priest can bring the sinner to God. All sinners need rather to go to the great high priest who is in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us go back to verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This verse encapsulates the great spiritual malaise in the time of Micah. There had been a departure from the plainly stated principles of the word of God. The toleration of just some dubious practices in the churches today, even for allegedly good reasons, oh, it will bring in the young people. Such toleration will quickly lead to a greater general corruption of doctrine and practice. Let's make everything relaxed and laid back and light and informal and then people will start attending. And so we need to realise the battle which is taking place. We need to contend for the truths of Scripture. The nation in which we now live is revelling in gross immorality. It's being promoted to the children in our schools. The Lord's Day is profaned openly in our land. Christianity has been reduced to just one of a number of faith options. Politicians no longer talk about Christians. Politicians talk about people of faith. You notice that? As if there's no difference between a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim, and a Hindu. We are a society in rebellion against the one true Trinitarian God. We are a society just like the one in the time of the judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And of course, the Bible uses the word man generically to refer to the race. So included in that 
is women saying, it's my right to choose whether I abort my baby. That is what we have descended to as a nation because we have departed from the one true faith of Jesus Christ. We are now a society just like the society in Micah's time. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, Paul says this, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh their wise in their own craftiness. God takes and captures the worldly wise and shows their own craftiness to be all the folly that it really is. We must not take any guidance from this world. As Bible-believing Christians, we must utterly reject the wisdom of this world. It is foolishness with God. The wisdom of this world says that nations should have open borders. That is not a biblical teaching. But many Christians have embraced it. We must do away with the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world is now being pushed into the minds of all our children, even at primary school level. They are being told, you can change your gender if you want to. That is wickedness. And the only people who can put a stop to the rot are Bible-believing Christians. So we see in this chapter the great danger of spiritual declension. As soon as there is a departure from the words of God, there is corruption, both in the church and then in the nation. And so we must stand fast to what God has revealed in his holy word. Let us never depart from the truths of Scripture. Because if we do, the church is lost and society is lost as well. Amen.